Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. I want to open up the Word of God tonight. Join with me the book of Acts and chapter 2. Book of Acts and chapter 2. Tonight I want to ask for your attention, I want you to set aside any distractions this evening as we turn our attention to the only thing that can truly transform us, and that is the Word of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, which truly is able to transform our lives. Can you say amen? Amen. Acts chapter 2. I've had the privilege in the last couple of years to pick up a, uh, a, a class that I've been teaching. The last year I taught, um, I taught to second and third graders, a science class. And this year I've been teaching a group of uh, seventh and eighth graders, uh, a biology class. And uh, it's been uh, exciting for me because... Uh, not only am I relearning some of the, the things that are so interesting to me, I, I'm, I love to study science and God's creation and, and begin to learn about the created world around us, uh, but even more, what I love is to see young minds begin to grasp new concepts and to understand things that they've never understood before. Even just today, my class is on Wednesday mornings every week. And uh, we learned something in that class that was uh, pretty incredible. We were learning about the human biome, that when we think about our bodies, we shouldn't just think about me standing up here, but realize that every human body is like an entire environment of other creatures, if you can believe that. It's kind of gross to think about, possibly. But uh, they, they began to uh, learn about um, the creatures that live in our biomass, things like, uh, uh, things like a fungus or um, bacteria that lives in our gut or even on your skin. You know, even right now, every single one of you, if we were to take a scraper and begin to pick around the bottom of your nose, we could, we could find arachnids, believe it or not, every single one of you. And uh, there are arachnids that live on the skin of your face and indeed your entire body that are reproducing uh, without your knowledge on a daily basis. So there you go. Uh, For all of you germaphobes, uh, you're going to go home and scrub yourself with a wire brush. But I was amazed to discover there are trillions, trillions of beings that live on or in the human body. And I'm amazed to see young minds begin to grasp these concepts. But you know, there's, there's a problem with many students. 
And it's a problem that is also reflected in the house of God. It's the problem of understanding the concept while you're in the classroom. But the moment that you leave and go home, you forget everything that you've learned. I don't know about you, I was not the best student on the planet. And I suffered from the same problem. You know, we would spend a whole year learning material and then go off to a summer break. You all know what I'm talking about? And in those six to eight weeks of summer break, your brain goes back to mush and those poor teachers have to rewire the brain every fall, right? And it is this problem that students can learn something in class and can even do well on a test... But the moment that they leave the classroom or go to a summer break, it's like all of that information and all of that learned knowledge, it just goes out into the, into the ether, into the abstract. And it's, this is why tonight, one of your favorite things that your teachers ever gave you was homework. <laughs> I have a daughter sitting on the front row who's doing homework. Even right now, even though she learns at home, she's still doing homework. And the reason why homework is such a critical part of an education is the idea that this needs to be learning, this needs to be knowledge that's not just for the classroom, but it's for you to learn and to maintain and to, and to uh, continue to, to know these things. I want to tell you that this is also a problem with many church folks. We can come to church and we can grasp the things that the pastor says in his sermon and we can have some kind of theological understanding of biblical truth. But how many know it's very different when you leave the church door and go back to your life? That it is possible for us to act like Christians and say Christian words and we can say, hello brother, nice to see you again. How has the Lord been treating you? And we can put on our Christianese and we can say, oh, oh yes, I've been fine. The, uh, the blood of Jesus has been covering me. You know, and we can, we can talk in Christian terms like that and it seems like many times people leave the door and forget or live as if we have forgotten all about our Lord and Savior. And so, I believe that the Bible's prescription for us is not just Christianity in church, but it's also Christianity at home. It's Christianity outside the four walls of the church. It's living for Jesus, even when nobody else is watching, even when the pastor's not around, even when we think we don't need to act like Christians. So, we are beginning a season, after the new year, we're going to begin, maybe you saw uh, a sign-up sheet out there, we're, we're going to begin doing some home Bible studies, and to encourage you about the reason why we do home Bible studies, I want to preach a message that I've titled, In the Temple and From House to House. And I want to read this scripture to you, Acts chapter 2, verses 46 And 47, we capture a truth here about the early church that we need to revive once again in our own hearts tonight. Acts chapter 2, 
verse 46. It says these words. So, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for speaking to us, God. We thank you for the possibility, God, not only of being church people, but of being Christians and believers and disciples everywhere that we go. God, that we would carry this faith to every corner of our lives, and God, that you would Help us to be an effective people. Lord, that when we, one day, when we enter your kingdom, God, that we would be able to look back and say, I've done what you've asked me to do. I've been obedient. God, may this be the desire of our hearts to please you. In Jesus' name tonight we pray. God's people would say, Amen. Amen. In the temple and the house. And I want to begin first by looking with you at the case for the organized church institution. Maybe you've heard people say, "Um, I love Jesus, or I respect the Bible, or I I am a Christian, but I really don't like the church. There is a lot of people in this world who uh, maybe have respect for the Lord, have had a religious experience, uh, but they don't go to church because there's been a loss of respect for the organized church institution. America is full of backsliders. People who have at one time had an experience with God, but their lives are no longer influenced by the church. And to me, that's a, a very st- sad state of affairs. Even, uh, even I met a brother um, who uh, lives right next door to you, Mr. Donald, uh, a preacher. And uh, one time I, I stopped by your house and he invited me in. And a great guy, he had been a minister, he had preached and, uh, and had started some churches, but uh, at, at the moment that I talked to him anyway, was not involved in any church. And when I see someone like that, I say, you know, it's, it's difficult for me to understand that. Even if you're not going to preach, man, you should be part of a church. You should be, you should be part of an organized body of believers. There is a case to be made from the Word of God that every believer needs to have a church. This is what it says in our Scripture, verse 46. They continued daily, daily, with one accord, in the temple. And there we have it. They were in the temple. The Christians, which is interesting, these are the believers who had trusted in Christ. They're Jewish believers. All of them at the beginning were Jewish believers. And so it was natural for them that they wanted to be together. They wanted to study the Scriptures. And of course, the best place to do that was in the temple. In the temple, the same place where they would look down the hall and they'd see other Jews that were there studying the Word of God, the Torah. Uh, maybe they hadn't received the Messiah as they had yet. But the, the idea is that they were still part of the organized religion that was there in their city. They were in the temple. 
today, we also have a similar call, a mandate from the Scripture to, uh, to build a local body of believers. Jesus uh, asked us in Hebrews, He told us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some as the day approaches, right? And as the day of the Lord approaches us, and as we get closer to the end times, this is going to be the temptation to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Why is that? Because as we get closer to the end times, as we become more dependent on technology, we become less dependent on God and His institutions. And that's why Jesus, why the book of Hebrews gives us this mandate to make sure that you're still meeting together in an assembly. An assembly, and let me just say that church on TV doesn't count as an assembly. A church on the app, the live stream, the YouTube live, that's not an assembly. You're looking at the assembly, but you're not participating, right? That's why the local body of believers will always have a place in God's kingdom. God has empowered the local body of believers. God does things in the assembly, the ecclesia, the ones who have been called out from the world and called together, God does things in the assembly that He doesn't do when you're alone. I got one amen. There is power when we come together in unity. The Scripture said clearly that when they continued daily with one accord in the temple, it is not enough just to be in the same place looking at each other. You know, you, uh, you can get on a bus and be in together with the same people, but how many know you're not in one accord if you're just riding on a bus? You're not in one accord necessarily just by going to your workplace or going to your schoolhouse. To be in one place and in one accord is a miracle of God. And that, beloved, that is what Jesus has called us to do. In the church, we have the unique ability to be called out from the world and called together in His assembly. That means no matter where you've come from, no matter what background you have or skin color or body type or family history, no matter where you've come from, we can come together in unity with one accord and we can become the body of Christ. That is what is unique about the church of Jesus Christ. Whether it is a a large church with thousands of people, thousands of members, and millions of dollars in their budget, or whether it is a home church where there are just a few families involved, I want to tell you the church, God has mandated for the church of Jesus Christ to have a place in His kingdom. So let's never come to the conclusion that the church is, is, uh, is something that God is moving beyond. No. He, Jesus Christ died for the church. He is married to the church. The church is His bride and He hasn't given up on her yet. 
and he never will. But we also, at the same time, we have to acknowledge some difficulties that arise as a result of human beings gathered together in an assembly. The reason why there are so many people who are turned off by the church is, of course, because the church is made of people. And the problem with people is that they stink. We have an original sin problem. Stink, some people stink physically, but really I'm speaking about, I'm speaking about spiritual stink, stank. The stank of our spiritual uh, wickedness that many times comes out even when we don't want it to. And the reason why the church has difficulties is because, guess what? We're human beings, and we're still infected by the curse of sin. And the church, we do the best that we can, but the church is far from perfect, isn't it? There is no such thing as a perfect pastor. There's no such thing as a perfect treasurer. There's no such thing as a perfect church member. I've never seen one, and if you think you have, I would love to know their name and address. In the church, there is potential for bad stuff to happen. There's the problem of bureaucracy, right? Churches can come to a place where they become paralyzed by red tape and by uh, uh, meetings. We've got to have a meeting about everything and can become cumbersome and top-heavy and the, and the pastor can get, uh, get power-hungry and and, uh, you know, churches that, that can fall into many temptations just like we can on a personal level. That's why we've got to have good leadership. We've got to have accountability. We've got to have high moral standards. And thank God for a good fellowship where we have those things. I want to tell you, you're, you are in a blessed place. There's a lot of craziness happening out there in a lot of different churches and I'm not here to throw stones at other churches and other fellowships. I'm here just to tell you, man, we have something really good in our fellowship. We have a system of accountability. I have a pastor who watches over my ministry. We have local uh, people in the congregation who we partner with together to make sure the finances are all taken care of. I'm just saying that because we are blessed. But this can be one of the problems with churches is, there's a potential for scandal. Maybe you've seen it in the news. Maybe you've seen how a pastor runs off with a secretary with church money. This is, uh, this is exactly how Pastor Mitchell inherited the church in Prescott, believe it or not. The previous pastor of that church in Prescott, Arizona had run away with another member of the church and taken all the church money. And there was 23 people left, and Pastor Mitchell takes over. <laughs> Can you imagine? And that was the situation he inherited, and now to see what the Prescott Church has become, it's an incredible miracle. But I'm saying that just to tell you that this is, this is the problem with, with churches and why people can be turned off is because in the church there is the potential for a scandal. This is why over and over we see... We see the mandate, the call of Scripture, the commandments to remain holy. Paul called out for correction to take place within the church. 
There must be holy standards of righteousness that we have to strive, understanding that nobody is going to be, uh, is going to sprout angel wings on this side of heaven, right? We're, we're not going to walk around with halos on our heads, but we understand also that we can live for God. That's why we have standards of holiness. If you're going to be doing something in the church, then you know you can't be involved in gross wickedness. So we expect people in ministry to be tithers. Did, did I say something? We expect people in ministry, we expect ushers, if you're going to be passing the baskets, we expect you to be participating in the giving in the church, right? We expect people in ministry to have hearts that are humble and purified and at the altar and seeking holiness. And even though we, we understand we, we fall into temptation and trials and tribulation, but I'm doing my best to live for God. We don't get caught up in legalism. But in the church, there is a potential for scandal. And this is why, in the scripture that we read, there is a balance. The problem with, if, if this is the only part of the scripture you read, you would get off balance. See, they say, you know, you can fall off a horse one way or the other. To the right or to the left. You can fall off the horse getting so in love with the church, so involved with the church, that when you leave the church, you forgot to be a Christian at home. The other side of the coin is this. What the scripture says is that these early believers, these early disciples, yes, they were together in the temple, but it didn't stop there. And this is what it said. In verse 46, it said they continued daily with one accord in the temple and, everybody say and, and and breaking bread from house to house. And so I want you to see this balance of living for God. Of course, they had a commitment to be together in the temple, to study the scriptures, to have the oversight of a pastor and leadership and the structure of ministry in church, that's all there in the temple. But that's not where they stopped. And this is where so many believers miss the mark. There are many believers. I've spoken already about those who've rejected the church and wanted to be Christian, Lone Ranger Christians all on their own. Listen, that doesn't work very well either. But there's another side of the coin. And that is the person who is a member of the church, faithfully attending. Not the tie, just on right. Everything all together. Leave from church and forget completely about the God who saved them. Are you with me tonight? This is the other danger, is that you can have your temple life all together, but forget to have Jesus from house to house. That these early believers give us an incredible example for how to live as a believer, not just life in the temple. Their service to the Lord did not end when they left from the temple. No. 
It said they continued with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. That is so critical for us to understand. And this is where many church, faithful church people miss out. Let me ask you. Does the church come home to your house? Is the church alive and well in your home? At the place that you call your house, where you lay your head to rest, is Jesus alive there too? Is the Bible something that is read in your house? Is worship something that happens from house to house? I'm afraid. I'm afraid that so many people, that they... They relegate the scriptures, they relegate prayer, they relegate worship just to the church building and neglect that the church needs to be from house to house. From house to house. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. You don't need to have the structure of a church. To have Jesus involved, right? In two people join hands together and bow their heads and their hearts to the Lord. Can I tell you, the same power of the Lord is available. This is not an excuse to neglect the church. And don't get me wrong. Some people have used this as an excuse and they say, well, Jesus is everywhere. He's in my living room too, you know, Pastor. So I'm not saying quit the church and, you know, just, just, uh, just op- open your Bible and read at home. What I'm saying is that we need to be doing both of these things. Church at church and church at home. We are still Christians when we go home, or we should be. Many of you understand that we are a pioneering fellowship. We believe in winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Do you know how many of those church plants begin? They start at home. Many of these pioneers, as they get launched out, maybe somebody here who would rise up and take the call to go into a city or a nation for the the call of Christ and for the winning of souls, maybe one day you will begin your own church. You will be a pioneer. What does that mean? You start in a house. First, uh, I know somebody who started in a Starbucks. We just talked to uh, Brother Robert McWhirter, and I think he's meeting in a, in a McDonald's or somewhere. And he goes out and he speaks to people on the street. He says, can we do a Bible study? I'll meet you at McDonald's. Hey, can I tell you, McDonald's can be a church. The advantages of a home church or a small church are incredible. One of the reasons why a small church or a home church has advantages is that it's highly interpersonal. It's a great place for new converts. It's a great place to learn to see someone live for God. I I don't know if any of you know, uh, there's a a pastor in our fellowship uh, named Paul uh, Stevens. 
And he was a missionary worker in the city of London. Uh, yeah, and we say, wow, that's an amazing and a great experience that he had. But, you know, he was there preaching in England for like five years and had very few converts. He was also um, struggling to find a building. This is many years ago. Struggling to reach someone with the gospel. But, you know, his family was there. And especially his son, who at the time was just a young teenager. And here's his son, Joe Stevens, who's watching his dad, Paul Stevens. And one day they get to their church building and the, the owner of the building uh, uh, did something so that the building was not available to them that day. And they, they sh- on Sunday morning, sorry, you can't have church here. Uh, you have to go somewhere else. And so with their heads bowed like this, feeling sorry for themselves, Pastor Paul Stevens, he says, we're still going to have church. And they walk down the street to a, to a McDonald's. And they go to McDonald's and they open the Bible, they sing a song, and they pray and they read the scriptures together as a family. That's it. Nobody else there. Just, just him and his wife and his children. And so this young man, Joe Stevens, uh, I, I met him and became friends with him when he was later a missionary in the nation of Greece. But he tells this story, he says, it was that day, that day, Dad, when they told us to leave from the church and we still had church, even though it was in a McDonald's. He said, that day, I made up my mind, I'm going to live for God. I saw someone who was a real Christian, someone who didn't let the disappointment of the moment ruined the day, who still served the Lord and did what you were supposed to do, even through disappointment. This is the advantage of a small church, as we can see one another up close. We don't hide behind anonymity. This is the attraction of the megachurch these days, is I can go in and out and not know anybody's name. Small church, you don't have that, right? I know everybody's name here. I know the things you're going through, and you know the things we're going through. And we, we don't have that, that, uh, that veil of being anonymous before each other. And there are some downsides to that, but the major good side is that I know if you're a real Christian. I can see the fruits of your life, and you can see the fruits of mine. It's an advantage of a smaller congregation. It's highly responsive. We can make changes. We can... We can implement new strategies. We can start uh, Friday night Bible studies after the new year. We, you know, we don't have to implement a campaign and spend tens of thousands of dollars. No, we can just, we can do it. We're nimble. We can respond. I can get a phone call. I can make a phone call. Go pick that brother up. Right? That's the advantage of a smaller church. When bigger churches get all of the attention, I believe the true strength of our fellowship is in the small church. Amen. It's true in the business world when, when large companies get all the press, Google and Apple and McDonald's and Hewlett Packard, and there's giant corporations out there, but that's not the strength of our economy. Amen. The strength of our economy and all of the job growth, do you know where it comes from? Small businesses. More than half of businesses in the United States, more than half, 
have less than five people employed. Did you hear that? The power of our economy is in small business. And I'd say the power of the kingdom of God is in small churches. That's a blessing. And we don't get discouraged when we see small crowds. Because we know God is still doing something. It's not that we're striving to have a small church. We're striving to have a healthy church. Whatever the size of the church might be, I want it to be healthy. I want it to be a healthy small church. And a healthy small church will naturally bring amounts of growth. But there are also some disadvantages in the home church or in the pioneer church. And and you know them well, don't you? We have limited resources. We have limited people. We have... Sometimes, uh, sometimes we can become tainted or we can look with jealousy at other churches or we can say, us four and no more. We can have a spirit of uh, exclusivity like, this is our church, why are you here? And instead of, instead of being open, we can become closed off to others. We have to be careful as a smaller church and as a group of believers to become divided. We have to be careful about that. But the point that I'm making from this scripture is that there's a balance. There's a balance in trusting an organized church and also from house to house. I love this idea. I love this image of the disciples coming together, reading the Scriptures, praying together, singing together, worshiping and serving together at the temple. And then say, hey guys, let's let's go home. And it wasn't like that moment they switched off the Jesus stuff. They said, let's bring this back to our houses. Today we'll go to our house, we'll break some bread together. Aren't you glad the Bible says that? They broke some bread together. Yeah, Uh, watch out keto believers. They broke bread together. (laughs) And they they fellowship, they they spent time with each other. They, they, They spoke to, they looked into each other's eyes. They prayed together in the houses. And this, I believe, is a great opportunity for us to improve tonight. Making it work in your house. We see this pattern throughout the the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 16, 19. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Paul's writing this whole chapter, this whole book of Corinthians, and he's making sure to greet a couple there that had a church in their house. Romans 16, 5. Greet the church that is in their house. That's another one. Colossians 4, 15. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church that is in his house. 
Philemon 1-2, to the beloved Aphia, our fellow soldier, and to the church who is in your house. This is more common than we think. Listen, back in those days, it was very uncommon for them to have a larger meeting place. If they had a place to meet, it would probably be in the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue where they would normally go on their Sabbath days. And so in the absence of a meeting house, guess where they would go? They'd go home. There is a natural balance. We are so blessed to have this building, right? It's a great meeting place. But if the church meeting ends when we leave this meeting place, we have failed. If your Christianity stops at the front door, then you have failed. My challenge tonight is to let the church come to your house. Oh, but pastor, my house, oh, ooh, I don't, ooh, I don't know. I, 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 I barely want to go home myself. See, we believe, this is why... As a church, we have, for years, we have done home Bible studies. This is an opportunity for the church to get outside the building and to get into the house. There's wonderful things that happen on a Friday night home Bible study. Wonderful things. It gives people an opportunity to ask questions that we don't normally have in a church service, right? In a smaller setting where there's fewer people, there's deeper discussion that can take place. Another reason why a home Bible study is great is because it becomes an extension of the local church. Our vision is to have a Bible study out there in Chesapeake. We've got some families here tonight that live in Chesapeake. Wouldn't it be great to have a Bible study out there in Chesapeake where we can start winning some souls out there? Maybe even start a church. This is how churches have been planted in the past. We started a Bible study. I remember Dan Rubianis, who uh, was a missionary in India. But, you know, long before he was a missionary, he was a home Bible study leader. And as a home Bible study leader, he got a vision to start a Bible study out on the Navajo Reservation. That's half an hour outside of Chandler. And he fought, him and his wife fought a bunch of demons, because there's some demons out there on the res, man. And they fought demonic strongholds just to hold a small Bible study. And listen, some of those Navajos came to church. They got saved. They got delivered. There have been churches started as a result of Bible studies. I heard a testimony of uh, somewhere in Mexico. I forget where it was, but a brother who uh, he got saved in a large city and uh, about a, an hour drive away, there's a mountain right next to the city, and his little village was up on the top of the mountain. Wow. And he got saved as he's down there in the city. He said, listen, I need to take this message back to the top of the mountain where my village is. Wow. He said, I want to start a Bible study. Brand new convert, had been saved weeks. So he takes the pastor, and him, he goes up to this little village up in the mountain, and they start doing like a Thursday night Bible study, a, a, a night when the church wasn't doing anything else, you know? Amen. And they start doing a weekly Bible study in his village. Before you know it, they've got 40 people saved wow. in their little village. And guess who started a church there? 
this brand new convert. In a few months, they sent him and his wife to be the pastor of that little village church up in the mountain. Could it be that there are souls waiting to be saved as a result of some home Bible studies? It becomes a fantastic vehicle for evangelism. It provides crucial training for men of the church to rise up and begin teaching the Word of God. Begin learning how to craft messages. And as part of, if you've ever attended one of these Bible studies, you've got to have some patience on these guys, you know? Because they don't have all the same skills that we're used to hearing. It gives young women and, and, and wives the opportunity to organize and take care of a crowd. And there's the pressure. There's people coming over to my house. I need to, need to make sure that it's a welcoming environment. So the challenge tonight is, yes, we've got the church thing down, okay? We've got two services on Sunday. We've got a recharge on Wednesday. We, we can do that, and we've done it. But we have a chance to improve tonight as we take the church from house to to house. Our vision for these home Bible studies starting after the new year is that we can have two groups. We have a Virginia Beach group that's here close to the church and a Chesapeake group with our families that live that direction. And the idea is that we can go from house to house. We can share the burden. And it doesn't have to be the same place every Friday night. We can go from one house to the other. That we'd be willing. We don't want to force anybody or twist your arm to do this. We would love to say, yes, here I am. I want to be a part of this. I want the church to be in my house. I want to invite my neighbors. I want to welcome people to my home to bring the gospel from house to house. And you will be amazed. Can I tell you, we've been watching this amazing ride as uh, Kanye West recently got saved, right? Maybe you, you heard the album. I, I, we, we listened to it on the way down to that men's rally. I was excited to hear it again, man. I was amazed. Just the, the pure love of God that comes through the, those, those songs. But do you know how Kanye West got saved? I heard a podcast with the pastor of the church that Kanye wandered into and how he got saved. Do you know how he got saved? He had some producer that was working for him who had recently gotten saved, and this producer was attending a home Bible study of somebody in the church. A home Bible study. And that producer started telling this little group of believers in their home Bible study, you know, I work for Kanye West. And since I got saved, he's been asking me all these questions about Jesus. He said, I have no idea what to do. I'm just a new convert. So they, they said, well, let's all pray together. Amen. God will give you wisdom and the right words to say. Right. And they did in that little home Bible study. And this producer started witnessing to Kanye. And we know God was working and doing things and putting things in place and, and changing things in his life. But listen, it all happened through a, a home Bible study. Amen. And one day, billionaire... Kanye West shows up 
in this church in California. Sits in the back. The next Sunday, he comes again. The third Sunday in a row, he comes again. And this time, he's waiting at the back of the church. When the pastor gets down after his service, he says, I want to talk to you, pastor. And from that day forward, committed his life to Christ. He got baptized in the Jordan River in Israel. Yeah, him and his wife. When you're a billionaire, you can do stuff like that. And now, as he's doing these Sunday services, I'm watching on on these YouTube videos as thousands of young people who possibly would never have heard the gospel that way. And they're lifting their hands to receive Christ. Because a producer in a home Bible study. What could God do? You never know. You never know. That's why we do these things. For the possibility of what God can do. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. As we bring this service to a close tonight, I do so appreciate your attendance this evening and your attention. What a blessed thing we have here in this church. We have a vision to reach the world for Jesus, but we also have a vision to reach our community. Ever since my wife and I have been here in this church, we have We have endeavored to have a worldwide vision to be involved in world evangelism and going on impact teams and nations, and that's very exciting. But can I tell you something? It is just as exciting to reach the neighbor next door as it is to reach someone who's never heard the the name of Jesus in some faraway country. Because it's still the same Jesus, it's still the same salvation, still being saved from the same kinds of sins. And listen, we have a higher responsibility to our own community than we do to the nations around the world. So I don't want to hear about how you want to go on an impact team to another nation unless you also have a heart to reach your neighbor for Jesus. Speak to your community, your family, your neighborhood, your apartment complex, your workplace, your classroom. Wherever you go, listen, there are sinners there too. And we are called as a church to reach them, and that is why, yes, we have the organized church service. We have the structure of a ministry, the potter's house. We have all of that here in this building. But do we also have The church going from house to house. Do we also have scriptures opening the scriptures with one another? Like on the road to Emmaus, Jesus opened the scriptures to them right there walking down the road. Do we also have, like Philip, preaching to the Ethiopian man. And that Ethiopian man, he says, what prevents me from being baptized? There's some water. Would you baptize me? When's the last time somebody asked you to baptize them? 
See, that's what we need tonight, church. We need the church to go out from these walls. To go beyond from this pulpit. To realize that when we walk out the door, we are entering the mission field. Christianity doesn't stop there, but it starts there. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people. Oh